There were three ordinary women on what seemed like a simple mission to find a film they liked. One where women got something to do and not just look pretty or be murdered. Which, to be totally honest, has complicated matters a bit. Welcome to Flicking. Yes, it sounds a bit rude. That's the joke. Hello listeners, welcome to another episode of Flicking, our rude sounding venture into the world of film. I am joined as ever by that Hannah Dunleavy one. Hello, sorry, I'm responsible for the huge tea slurp you probably just found. And another? <laughs> <laughs> and non-tea slurping, Yosra Osman. Hi Yosra. Hello, I have no tea, but I am ready to spill the tea on my film choice this week. Look at her, she's using influencer lingo that I don't understand. So, <laughs> without further ado, Yosra, it was indeed your pick this month. What did you get us watching? Well, so my choice is The Nightmare Before Christmas, or as it's otherwise known, Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, of which he's not actually the director. He is the creator and the producer, and uh, Henry Selick is the director. And it's basically one of my favourite films of all time. I watch it at least twice every year for as long as I can remember I've been watching this. It's just one of those films that I find really enchanting and I'm mesmerised every single time I watch it. Telling the tale of Jack Skellington with his midlife crisis where he just decides (laughs) that, you know, I'm done with Halloween. I want to try something new. I I need a new purpose in life. And then he accidentally stumbles across the magical Christmas town. He tries to adopt it into his world of Halloween town and it all goes a bit awry. So it's just really inventive, really great. I've actually listed the many reasons why I love it, but I won't start with with those. I do want you to sing them to us. It will be in the form of a song, right? (laughs) Do you know what? I did think, shall I try and snip in some, what's this, every now and again? (laughs) But I thought thought that'll just get really annoying really fast. (laughs) I've, I've not done that. I just think it's perfect for so many reasons and it's my favourite of any film that Tim Burton has done even though I've just said he's not the director he did create this actually started as a a poem that he wrote when he worked for Disney as an animator in the early 80s Um, Disney were considering making it into a short film or a TV special but then decided to scrap it because they thought it was too weird Tim Burton left Disney and then a few years later thought actually no I quite like this idea and Disney did decide to make it in a film and it's been mesmerizing people ever since so um I love it do you both love it well yeah I go first what I probably should say at the top having watched every single animated Disney film it took me about two and a half years to do that (laughs) um and having not watched anything since when that little thing came up at the start that said Disney, I had like a really weird like like palpitation of, oh my God, I'm back here, I'm Was back it here. like a numb flashback? Yeah, absolutely that. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I have to watch him again. Uh, despite <laughs> the fact, but that didn't last very long, obviously, because, uh, yes, I love The Nightmare Before Christmas. I have quite fond memories of it in that I came from uh, a family where we didn't all like the same stuff by any stretch of the imagination. So the stuff that we did all like... Um, rough examples uh Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh Robot Wars and this The Nightmare Before Christmas the thing that all five people in our house would sit down and watch 
And Mickey said to me yesterday, she couldn't believe it was 1993. And I thought about it and I went to get it at Blockbuster Video, like with my brother. And he was a little boy at the time, like proper small. So, yes, I'm very fond of it for that reason. But, uh, yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. I've got some thoughts about what children now might make of it, but maybe we should move on to Mickey and I can discuss that later. I, too, love The Nightmare Before Christmas. And similar to Hannah, my little brother was very, very little when it came out. Actually, he probably wouldn't have watched it when it first came out because he'd have only been five. So that would have been way too young. But once he did watch it, it was a firm favourite. So it was it was very much a put Aaron in front of that and he'll have a lovely time. And also put Mickey in front of that and she will also have a lovely time. So, yeah, it was just a treat to watch it <laughs> and get lost in its enchantment and magic. And I like that it's dark. I think kids need dark stuff in their lives as well to ready them for the real world which isn't all talking mice. Yeah. And also on a really boring admin front, I can't, you can take the girl out of a local newspaper, but you cannot take the local newspaper out of a girl. And part of me kept thinking, oh, but this is a Christmas film and we won't be watching it around Christmas. But then it occurred to me, it's 95% not a Christmas film, it's a Halloween film. It's the joy of it covering two holidays and we're watching it in between. Double tick in the box there from Yosra. She thought about this way more than we did, Hannah. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so th- that's part of the reason I, you know, I chose it. And also one of the reasons I love this film is because it, it covers both Halloween and Christmas. So I feel like I definitely watch it at least twice a year, once around Halloween time and once around Christmas time and probably a couple of times in between as well. But it just has the joy of two of my favourite holidays. I often think, actually, you know, the bit where Jack goes into the forest and there's yeah. the different trees with the different oh, holidays. I have a question for you. <laughs> have you got a have you got a door he'd rather have gone through because personally i kind of hope that if they ever make a sequel he goes through the st patrick's day door because i think that one would be amazing do you know what i was just about to say that st patrick's day door would be so much fun i'm not sure what you really do in thanksgiving town other than just eat a ton of food necessarily isn't that bad but St. Patrick's Day would be well. Can you imagine him with one of those comedy oversized uh, Guinness hats coming back through? Just it's some sort of adult thing. Booze people of the But also, that door would then also be St. Patrick's Day slash Mickey's birthday. So I would love that film. Yeah. Is it your birthday, St. Patrick's Day? It is indeed. Yeah. That is awesome. Party Come on in, Jack. Around. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Well, sadly, Tim Burton has said he he never wants there to be a sequel to Nightmare Before Christmas, probably rightly so. But I think it's also because Disney would want to do it as a digitally animated Mm. film now rather than the classic stop motion animation that you see in Nightmare Before Christmas, which is just vis- visually stunning. I mean, yeah. I when, when you when I was watching it, I mean, it's probably the two hundredth time I've seen this film. But when I watched it last night again, I just kept looking at the animation, thinking this is just glorious. And I did a little bit of research into how they did it, and they made two hundred and twenty-seven puppets to represent all of the characters, and they made hundreds of different heads for Jack Skellington with all the different expressions and sort of muscle movements everything when you think about it like that all the work that went into it it just looks absolutely amazing and again that's another thing on my list for reasons why I love it it took three years as well didn't it three years it took three years yeah so I think they said 18 months for the actual stop motion but there was loads of time that went into the storyboarding and trying to get every single frame right 
Because there is so much. And I think this is, well, let's get to that question I was going to ask you. This is what's so fascinating about it or so good about it, because it's, it, it is that. It is arduous. It is labour intensive. And yet in every single frame, there seems to be something different happening. You yeah. cannot play. And I wonder now, like when I watch my nephew watch a film, when he decides to Google something midway through it, or he decides to check his phone, or he just gets distracted, that I wonder how children... This is a film that actually demands to be watched. Yeah. Literally watched. It's like watching a film with subtitles almost. If you look yeah. away, you've lost the thread of it. And I wonder how that it would go down with children now from that point of view. In that I'm not sure children have the necessary concentration, even though this is quite a short film, to actually get the most out of it. They'd probably enjoy it, but to actually see every single thing that's going on in the background, all the myriad different things. Because there's so much going on that it feels colourful, despite the fact that there's virtually no colour in it whatsoever. Yeah. And actually, one of the, one of my favourite facts about Nightmare Before Christmas, which I think sums up Selick and Burton's creative flair, is that Disney... So Jack Skellington, obviously, he doesn't have eyes, but obviously he's so well animated. You can see what kind of expressions he's pulling. And Disney, they wanted the creators and the animators to put eyes in his skull and have these big, cutesy, friendly eyes like you would see in a Disney film. And Burton and Selick absolutely refused and said, no, you don't need to have these cutesy, childish eyes to animate this kind of film. And I think they were proved right, really. Agreed. Definitely. It was a bugbear that came up a lot in Dunleavy Does Disney, the huge princess eyes. All the women <laughs> kind of looked a bit like flies. It was weird. And they still do that, even yeah. now. All the Disney princess films they just have these big googly eyes. Anyway, so <laughs> that's something. And I think one of the things that I just love is that they weren't afraid with the nightmare before Christmas to go a bit darker. It, it is dark in places. It's got that kind of ghoulish, Halloween-y vibe that just makes it what it is and I I love that it got that vibe just right between for example the kind of scarier nature of Halloween Town and then the absolute sort of contrast when Jack first goes into Christmas Town and you hear the sleigh bells and you see the snow and you see the lights there's something really magical about that so I just think that's another thing about the film that that really really works Disney when, when the film was first released said they They actually released it under Touchstone Pictures, not as a Disney film, because they said it was too dark for kids. And then, of course, as soon as it started getting all this rapturous applause and made loads of money, Disney were like, oh, we're going to take that back. Actually, we are going to make it a Disney film. But, you know, it just works. And there are bits that are scary, but there are also bits that are really lovable as well. There's a clown that rips his own face off. That's terrifying. And I am 43. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The kid that ta- that's got the face mask and when he takes it off, he looks. They all look worse underneath because <laughs> the face mask is on. Lock, is, shock, and yeah. barrel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, lo- I love those three. One of them voiced by Greg Proops. Fact fans. Really? Yeah. Oh, really? Lock, Lock is uh, voiced by Greg Proops. Shock is Catherine O'Hara doubling up because she does the voice of Sally as well. I don't know who Barrel is. Sorry. Can we talk about just... Sally? Yeah. Yes. Let's. Okay, because I feel like. Sally is perhaps, you know, what I've, we know about Tim Burton over the years. Perhaps Sally is Tim Burton's ideal woman more than any other woman that's appeared in a Tim Burton film. <laughs> there's, there's, there's something about her that I, I don't, I can't, I can't put my finger on. I mean, she's right, but yet she's whingy as fuck. And she's right <laughs> she's in a really joyless, 
she's right in a really joyless way. But the one thing that I would say, and this is, as I can say this as someone with incredibly small feet, is she would fall over way, way more. I'd <laughs> be <a> tiny. <laughs> I think Sally's really interesting, actually, because she she's a really odd juxtaposition a female character pining for a man and a lot of her actions are to do with the fact that she loves Jack and she just wants to be with Jack but maybe she can't be with Jack but she still wants it anyway yet she also rescues herself constantly she gets herself out of trouble she literally sews herself back together so Jack doesn't fill a hole that's there Jack is actually someone that she just loves but it's almost like we can't have this female character who can just rescue herself and escape from someone who's literally made her his slave. Is he? Mm. Is she his love slave? Let's not think about that. But she has that power within her to do it. Yeah. I mean, you kind of almost want another film about Sally, really. I love Sally as a character. I, I think it's partly, especially now, because I know that it's Catherine O'Hara voicing her. And Catherine O'Hara is an absolute queen. Absolutely adore her. But Agreed. I actually... <laughs> she's just brilliant. But I absolutely... I, I, I really feel like Sally she could she could be by herself and actually part way through watching nightmare before christmas last night i was thinking why do you care so much about jack he is just so self-absorbed and so oblivious to everything that's going on because he's set with his own personal agenda he must fix himself by bringing christmas down to all these people in halloween town that don't really care for it i'm like please sally go off do your own thing you don't need him but otherwise i mean you have to tie her to the story which at the end of the day is 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 jack's story but she's a great character in herself i know i know hannah she is a bit whiny and (laughs) but i mean that but it's odd because she's there essentially to deliver the moral of the film and the moral of the film in in many ways and this is not a criticism of it because i love it but it does sort of it is um uh maybe a contradiction in it is that the moral of the film is ultimately don't stray outside of your box, which is an odd (laughs) message in many ways. Oh, see, I think it's more allow yourself to fail. Failure's not the end. I think it's a mix of both, right? Well, yeah, sort of a mix of both. And I think... It's never it's never really implied that he, you shouldn't venture out of your own world, but it's just the kind of forceful nature of how Jack does it in terms of he's so obsessed with this idea of doing it and it's really for him, it's not for anybody else, yeah. that he loses his way. You know, there are other ways he could probably have brought the spirit of Christmas Town into Halloween Town, but he's just fixated on being Santa or Sandy Claus and just... <laughs> just doing that all himself it's very egotistical i love it it's like if hannah if hannah suddenly just got like kind of oh it's the same day in day out at standard issue i'm gonna start a men's rights magazine i'm gonna edit that (laughs) and then go oh actually no this isn't for me i I did really like what i was doing back on standard issue allow me back and then mickey queen (laughs) mickey would toss her in with her incredibly small feet and say, <laughs> seriously, I'm so glad you can only see me from like the tits up because both of my legs have fallen off. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mickey, hello. Tell me, okay, have you got anything exciting planned by way of the podcast? Well, I've certainly not got anything exciting planned outside of the podcast, <laughs> so yes, I have. I chatted to Carmen Khalil absolute legend who started virago press which is the apple that every woman should be eating some great feminist literature out through virago press 
And of course, Hannah, ahead of International Men's Day, it'd be remiss not to talk to Richard Herring, so I'm going to do that. We also have, which is exciting news for me, as I'm a big Horrible Histories fan and big Ghost fan, Lawrence Rickard, who will be appearing on our men's gigcast. And, and it's worth me mentioning that we've also got Deliso Chaponda on there as well. Exciting. Also, I've got some things planned for Alcohol Awareness Week. I'm going to be talking about alcohol in pregnancy, which is interesting. We've got a flicking. We've got an outside the box. We're going to have a big review of the year coming up, which will be exciting obviously. I love that you say the review of the year is going to be exciting and it will. You'll be fascinating with loads of facts and stuff but it will just be a background of me screaming into my pillow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So how do we make sure that people don't miss any of this stuff? There's a little thing they could do Hannah. They could subscribe. Subscribe? Yeah. I've never heard that nonsense before. There's a little button on wherever you get your podcasts and if you click that button that will say subscribe. S-U-B-S-C-R-I-B-E then our podcast will be waiting for you, nice and fresh. Let's go and have a cup of tea. Can I ask you a question about the music, Yosra? Because obviously yeah. it's, da- it's Danny Elfman. Yeah. And Danny Elfman also does the singing bit yes. for Jack. But I think musically it sounds, at the start of every song, sounds incredibly similar to Beauty and the Beast. And I googled it and that is not Danny Elfman. And Beauty and the Beast came after, but they're both Disney. And I kind of wondered, is there anything you know about that, about the sort of the similarity? Did it, did you notice it? I actually, I have to admit, I didn't think of that at all. But now you've said it, there it is ringing. The, the, the sounds are quite similar. Who, who was Beauty and the Beast again? Was that? I don't know. I Googled it, but it wasn't Danny Elfman. So it wasn't Danny Elfman. All that information in my head. I no. I need to go and re-listen to that because I've never thought of that. Maybe I'll do some fact-finding for the next flicking that we can just quickly touch on it. But especially no, the song, especially the song that um, oh, what you did at the start. Now my mind's gone blank. It's what's this. this. What's, what's this? this? What's, what's this? this? Sounds very similar to that one about where they kill the beast. That one. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, it does. That's so true. Okay, I love that song, actually. I don't love Kill the Beast, but I love that song. And now I'm always going to have that connection between the two. I absolutely love the Marilyn Manson version of This Is Halloween. And I have it on two different playlists. It's amazing. Okay, I have never heard that. And that's something I'm going to do right after this. (laughs) So good. (laughs) But I I love all of the music in it. I love, I don't know what it's called, but the song that Sally sings... It's called Sally's Song. Oh, it is just called Sally's Song, where she's all sad and piney. Um, But it's just beautiful, beautiful music. And it it just adds to the kind of really enchanting nature of the film. And this is the thing, right? So I've lost a lot of love for Tim Burton in in recent years. Mm. I find that his films please don't hate me anyone they kind of just got more irritating the later we got into the into the 2000s one thing I I was thinking actually as I watched Nightmare Before Christmas is it feels really magical throughout Mm. whereas some of his other films where he's gone for a little bit of a samey vibe so I'm thinking of something like Corpse Bride which I watched a couple of weeks ago which is fine but at no point does it have that sense of wonder or magic that i think was really captured in nightmare before christmas and maybe that's that maybe that's partly henry Selick's doing as well i don't know but it, this to me is still the best thing that tim burns ever been a part of really um yeah i would agree with that i am also a big fan of edward i think edward is hilarious oh, of course uh but yeah i mean the other ones i i, I don't know i kind of 
Edward Scissorhands passed me by entirely at school. Everybody else loved it. And I was like, yeah, it was all right. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm probably missing ones out. I quite like Sleepy Hollow. That's also quite interesting. I like Sleepy oh. Hollow. Thought he did a oh, good job with Sweeney Todd. Beetlejuice is one of my favourite I do favorite like Beetlejuice. Mm. And I also love the references within A Nightmare Before Christmas to Beetlejuice. So Catherine O'Hara, the guy who voices the mayor, um, Glenn Shaddix, is Otto in Beetlejuice as well. And one of the presents that they leave under the tree is one of the, the sort of snake monsters that's in Beetlejuice. So I love all the little references to Beetlejuice because it's a cracking film. And Jack Skellington, he actually, further on, he's referenced in a lot of films. So he's in things like James and the Giant Peach and Coraline, which is also directed by Henry Selleck. So they're all just following on from each other. It's lovely. Yeah, I have to say there's also a, a one thing about Jack Skellington is he does have the most enormous legs, which means that it's probably the only case of justified man spreading I've seen. He does have to sit <laughs> with his legs really, really, really wide apart. But those legs are very, very long. So if you sit next to me on the tube, unless your legs are not as long as Jack Skellington's, I'm not going to buy it. I mean, it seems Watch reasonable. out, folks. I'm just loving <laughs> Hannah's imagination that she'll ever be sat on a tube again. Incredible. Yeah, that's true. Wow. Very hopeful, Hannah. I've got I haven't even been on a bus. I have a question for you both. So, the character of Oogie Boogie is seen by some as slightly racist, and I wondered if you had picked up on that or whether you'd read about that as well. So, I have, and I think this is the one thing about Nightmare Before Christmas that i am quite uncomfortable with in terms of even the name oogie boogie man and the sort of presentation it does draw on stereotypes hang on let me just remember his name is it ken page that it's does ken his page, voice yeah. it is ken page yeah and actually i i've sort of lost a bit of respect for tim burton he's not into colorblind casting in that kind of he said he used to watch black exploitation films and he never found himself going well where are the white people in this so therefore so I think it was around Miss Peregrine's, wasn't it, when he did Miss Peregrine's? Yeah, I think he was called up on his casting. And I, I, I'm, re I'm really scared of saying the wrong thing in terms of what we said. I, he said he, he wasn't interested in colourblind casting and he talked a little bit about his aesthetic. So I don't know. It just, it just struck me as a little bit off, which is a shame. So that's sometimes the downside that I think of when I'm, when I'm thinking about films like Nightmare Before Christmas, which will still remain one of my absolute favourite films, but it is in mind. I, I, I wasn't aware of that. I want to do more reading. It seems quite shocking. I will say, though, that the Oogie Boogie sequence does seem to be a sequence that has had cultural sort of appeal as in there are lots of other things that I think particularly in Disney that I feel are like it I feel like Jermaine Clement in Moana has a touch of that so Danny Elfman did worry that Oogie Boogie Mr Oogie Boogie was going to be seen as racist and he flagged it up but I think it was Selick and Burton both said that the kind of idea for it came from a Betty Boop cartoon where there was the gambling and the jazz and that's what they wanted to bring into it that was their reasoning yeah, Tim Burton's got a thing about that that sort of thing with jazz music. You see it in a couple of films, and, and he probably was going more more along thinking around jazz route, but it is a little bit perhaps misjudged with, with the way that it's done. Cracking vocals, though. Ken Page can't half-sing. It's amazing. <laughs> His voice is really commanding, isn't it? So good. I love it. Yeah. I love it, yeah. Did everyone like it? 
Did everyone have a lovely time? Yours everyone had a, a lovely time. <laughs> I am doing a little bit of a dance because it just fills me with so much joy and I'm really excited that we're getting into festive season. I feel like watching it last night started it all off for me, so I'm happy. <laughs> Are you a Christmas nerd, Yasmin? I love Christmas. I just love it. And I think this year in particular, I'm really going to go crazy on, on Christmas. I don't know about you two, but I just feel it's been such a shit show every year. I'm like, got to do something nice for Christmas. So next time we chat, Yosha's going to be wearing flashing antlers. Yeah, for sure. I'll have the big earrings on. I'll sing. I'll sing Christmas songs too, if you don't hate them. <laughs> no. I, I, so, I, I, I do have a question for Yosra, if that's okay. Um, please. Tell me, Yosra, I know you know quite a lot of people in the uh, sort of arts picture house community in mm-hmm. Cambridge. It's now shut, sadly, mm-hmm. um, along with all the city worlds. Um have you got obviously you're not you haven't spoken to anyone at head office and all of that have you got a sense sure. of of how things are does it seem as depressing as it sounds or does it seem slightly more hopeful than that i think there's kind of a level of stoicism about it i think you know it is really sad and i think it's not you know the people that work there you know the, the, the arts picture house such a lovely group of people there and really passionate and they were still smiling right till the last day when it was closing but there is that sense of sadness and i think it's also just the not knowing you know it is when is it going to open again when is it okay to go back to the cinema when is cinema world going to say all right fine we'll bring people back to watch to watch films and I think that's the thing that's really jarring people the most you know the people that work at places like the Arts Picture House they love film they love cinema and it's just sad and I think it's also horrendous that a lot of them found out from Twitter on you know the morning that the news just landed everywhere so Mm. I'm I'm not going to pretend that people I've spoken to that they're they're feeling you know super hopeful there's a little bit of hope obviously that things will return back to normal but you got you can't deny there is a lot of sadness and actually amongst people who who are sort of cinephiles there's a lot of conversation about what what's going to happen is is cinema dying as an art form not as an art form but it is the kind of experience dying i don't really have an answer to that at the moment because i can't say that i've been to the cinema much in the last six months so there's kind of a mixture of feelings and I think for some people including myself you know somebody who loves film so much there's a sense of guilt that perhaps we haven't done enough to support the cinemas when they reopened back in was it July? I think it was July. Yeah Yeah. so I think there's a there's a real mixture of emotions to be honest so that was a bit doomy gloomy but no I mean it's honest that's what I asked for I mean I'd imagine like I say that's you're talking about Cambridge to be clear but I'd imagine certainly in arts picture houses all over the country the experience is similar as in they're all big fans of cinema and they're all really worried about what's going to happen we were actually talking about this i think netflix uh, after they cancelled netflix have cancelled a lot of drama uh, television essentially and i wonder whether they're shoring up their finances to have a proper go Mm -hmm. at, at, at cinema and see if um if they've decided that cinema is now something that you stay in for rather than go out for then they're going to have a crack at, at making a lot more films rather than TV. But Hopefully better than the films like Love Guaranteed, which I just watched, which is your typical cheesy Netflix <laughs> awfulness. So I, maybe they're thinking of some better ones. I, I watched the one with Tom Holland and um, the guy from um, The Thing About Vampires. Come on, Mickey, I've turned into my mother. Robert Patterson. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it had loads of potential squandered, is all I will say. <laughs> Hannah, you are in charge of Standard Issue AV Club next month. What are I know. you watching? I know. Well, I thought it suddenly occurred to me that, you know, there, there's a couple of films in my life that I keep saying to people, you should watch that, you should watch that, you should watch that, you should watch that, and nobody ever takes me up on it. Right. So this is an opportunity for me to make people watch films that I think that more people should watch. You can feel me building up to it, can't you? Grey Gardens. Ah, <laughs> oh, nice one. I'm excited. Me have you too. ever seen it before, Yosra? No, I no. have never seen it. So I'm excited. Despite all those times I've told you to watch it. Here we go. <laughs> but I'm, I'm the person you're talking about. <laughs> you say I tell people to watch things, they don't listen. That is me. <laughs> so two out of three of us are dressing up next time. Yosra is going to be in flashing Christmas earrings. Hannah's going to be in an ED t-shirt, little ED t-shirt. Oh, I'm going to be wearing a skirt as a hat. <laughs> the good news is when you've watched it you will understand that cultural reference and probably about 95% of my other cultural references are that largely die a death because people go what? <laughs> what? Standard Issue for All Women